This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We begin with that creepy voice that appeared out of nowhere, the Whistler. Each episode of The Whistler began with the sound of footsteps and a person whistling. The Saint radio series with Vincent Price used a similar opening. The haunting signature theme tune was composed by Wilbur Hatch and featured Dorothy Roberts whistling with an orchestra. The Whistler ran from May 16th of 1942 to September 22nd of 1955 on the West Coast Regional CBS Radio Network, Show was broadcast in Chicago and over Armed Forces Radio. A character known only as The Whistler was the host and narrator of the tales, which focused on crime and fate. He often commented directly on the action, taunting the characters guilty or innocent. The stories followed a formula in which a person's criminal acts were typically undone, either by an overlooked but important detail or by the criminal's own stupidity. An ironic ending, often grim, was a key feature of each episode. Bill Foreman had the title role of the Whistler for the longest period of time. Another who portrayed the Whistler at various times was Gail Gordon, the principal on Our Miss Brooks radio show. Tonight's show is entitled Apparition. Wait a minute. Have you heard the strange tales of the Whistler? I'm the Whistler. John was here in this room. I saw him and talked to him. He had a message for me. And while he was here, the room was filled with the odor of musty roses. Another Sunday night, and again CBS presents The Whistler. the whistler know many things for I walk by night I know many strange tales many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows and so I tell you tonight the unusual story of apparition in the midst of a circle of tall moaning pines spreads an old mansion on the second floor a low light burns in a large bedroom the bedroom of Elizabeth Kemper the elderly mistress of the mansion. Mrs. Kemper's husband, John, died suddenly a year ago and left his entire estate to his wife, Elizabeth. Shortly after John's death, Elizabeth brought her husband's sister, Bertha, and Bertha's daughter, Celia, to live with her. Since John's death, 
Elizabeth's health has gradually failed and she has taken to her bed. In the meantime, Elizabeth's only sister, Mary, has come to live in the great house and Mary's son, Herbert. Now, long past midnight, Elizabeth tosses in her bed and mumbles. John. John. What is it? What do you want? Why don't you say it? Suddenly, Elizabeth's door bursts open and Bertha moves into the room and stands beside the bed. Elizabeth? Elizabeth. Huh? Huh? <coughs> Elizabeth. It's Bertha. Oh, Bertha. Oh, yes, Bertha. Why did you scream? Scream? Did I scream? Yes. Just as I came in the room. Uh, you must have frightened me. Were you dreaming? No, I... I don't think so. But I don't know. I... I thought John was here. John? You thought John was here? Yes. Standing there beside the bed. Elizabeth. I saw him too. Just a moment ago. What? In my room. Oh, but that's nonsense. Why should he always appear to you? I'm his sister. Yes. Yes, of course. John was trying to tell me something. Something about you. What? He was trying to tell me that you should listen to him. Listen to him? Something about the property. What about the property? He says he made a mistake. Mistake? He says he wasn't killed accidentally. He did it deliberately. He committed suicide. Suicide? Why should he have done that? He hasn't explained that. But he says now he knows the truth about everything. He knows that his reason for hating me and cutting me off in his will was unfounded. And he's sorry. He's been trying to reach you, but you aren't receptive. You claim you've seen John every night since the day he died. I have, Elizabeth. I swear I have. I've seen him many times in my dreams. But why doesn't he tell me what he wants? Some night, Elizabeth, John will reach you in your waking moments. Then you'll believe me. But I can't understand it. He didn't like you and he told me so. Why should he change now? Perhaps it would be best if Celia and I left you. Why should you want to leave all of a sudden? You have your own sister and her son, Herbert. You won't be alone. I only knew what John was trying to say to me. I've told you what he's been saying to me. Mother, is anything wrong? We heard someone scream. At least I thought I did. No, nothing's wrong. Go back to bed. Elizabeth, Elizabeth, what is it? What's what, Mary? Oh, dear me, I, I heard someone scream. What was it? Oh, you're all right, Elizabeth. Yes, Mary, I had a nightmare, that's all. Oh, well, I, I was worried. Better go back to bed, all of you. I'll be all right. Yes. Yes, come along, everyone. I'll see you in the morning. Good night. But, Mother, why do you keep frightening Aunt Elizabeth by telling her about Uncle John? I'm not frightening her. She should know the truth. But she is frightened. Why, she's getting worse and worse. Are you sure you have seen Uncle, really? Do you dare suggest that I'm lying? Is that what you mean, Celia? No, no, Mother. I didn't mean that honest. That's better. And don't you ever say such a thing again. But why doesn't he appear to Aunt Elizabeth? She only dreams about him. That's something that can't be answered. There are those who are gifted with the powers to see those who have departed. See them and talk with them. I'm one of those so gifted. Do you understand? Yes, yes, Mother. John is trying to get a message to Elizabeth about me... And because he finds it difficult to reach her, he's chosen me as the medium. What is the message? He left me nothing in his will because he hated me and thought I hated him. But you did. I did not. 
It was his imagination. But now he's learned the truth. Now he knows I had nothing but his best interests at heart. He's trying to tell Elizabeth to leave all the estate to me. And he will continue to return to this house until his mission is accomplished. Then his soul can rest in peace. I'm frightened, Mother. I don't want to stay here another day. I can't stand it You'll here. You'll stay here until I'm ready to leave. Do you hear me? Yes, yes, Mother. I, I hear. Now stop this nonsense and go to bed. Yes, Mother. I, I'm sorry. You'd better be. In another part of the great house, Herbert is talking with his mother, Mary, Elizabeth's own sister. Oh, now, now, Mother, get hold of yourself. Oh, I'm terribly frightened, Herbert. Why should you be frightened? Nothing can harm you. What have you to be afraid of? Oh, there's something awful in this house. I can feel it. I don't want to stay here any longer. We must leave before it's too late. I'll admit that strange things are going on, but I'm not ready to leave here. Not just yet. We don't belong here, Elizabeth is your own sister. I don't think John wants us here. You really believe that John's spirit is walking around this place every night? Well, what else? Then why doesn't he say what he's trying to say and get it over? Well, I can't stay here much longer. I'll I'll lose my mind. I can imagine John's not wanting Bertha here, since he stipulated in his will that Aunt Elizabeth must never give Bertha a dollar of the estate. But what's he got against you? Nothing. Oh. He didn't say that Elizabeth couldn't leave you a part of it. Well, all I want to do is to get out of this house. Well, I don't feel that way about it. Why should you walk out and leave everything to Bertha? Well, that's why John's staying around here. He doesn't want anyone here. Well, ghost or no ghost, I'm not walking out at a time like this. Then, then I will. I'm leaving here tomorrow. Oh, no. No, you're not leaving. We're both staying until... What? Until Aunt Elizabeth makes her will. You're staying here whether you like it or not. You hear? Yes, Herbert, but nothing good will come of it. I'm convinced of that. (laughs) No? Well, we'll see about that. Good night, Mother. An hour later, Mary has finally dropped off to sleep. Then, as the clock strikes three, a figure in white slips into Mary's room and stands beside the bed. Slowly, Mary opens her eyes and stifles a scream. Who is it? What do you want? I want to talk to you, Mary. Bertha. I have a message for you. A message? Yes. John is here, standing beside me. I I don't see anyone. He is here. What, What is the message? John says that Elizabeth is planning to leave the estate to you. But he's learned the truth. He knows that his dislike for me was unfounded. He wants the estate left to me, because it's rightfully mine. And he'll never be able to rest in peace until that is accomplished. Oh, I I don't want it. I don't want any part of the estate. Then if you want to escape this torment, you must convince your sister that John made a mistake. If you accept any part of it, John will never let you rest. Do you understand? Yes, 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 I understand. Very well, we'll leave you now. Good night. Elizabeth! Elizabeth, wake up! Oh, what? Wake up! Oh, Mary, what's wrong? You're shaking like a leaf. He, he was in my room. Who? John, he was in my room. Mary, what are you saying? He had a message. He said you were planning to leave your estate to me, according to his will. But he made a mistake about Bertha. He wanted you to leave it to her. 
so he can rest in peace. Mary, are you out of your mind? No, no, you must believe me. I don't want any part of the estate. Oh, please promise me. Leave it to birth and have done with it. I, I refuse to accept it. Get control of yourself, Mary. I'm leaving here in the morning. I'm frightened. And if you had any sense, you'd leave too. If you stay here, you'll go mad. Very well, Mary. If that's what you call gratitude, you can go. Oh, I'm sorry, Elizabeth, but I, I won't remain another night. Are you sure you saw John? No, but he was there in my room. Did you talk with him? No. No, that is I. Then how do you know he was there? Well, Bertha told me he was there. Bertha? Was she there, too? Oh, yes. She she told me what he wanted. He said he couldn't reach you. Oh, why should John appear to everyone but me? Well, I don't know. But I, I know he was there. I could sense it. I tell you, there was someone in the room with Bertha. It must have been John. Oh, let Bertha have the estate or something terrible will happen to all of us. Oh, please, Elizabeth. Go to bed, Mary. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Yes, Elizabeth. The next day, Herbert goes into town and pays a visit to Henry Wentworth, Elizabeth's attorney. Wentworth was also John's attorney for many years and was familiar with the family for two decades. Mr. Wentworth, you drew John Kemper's will. Yes, I did. Have you any idea why he cut his sister Bertha off without a dollar? No, but in the last five years, John turned against Bertha. Turned against her violently. Why? I don't really know. She was his only sister and he had no brothers. It was very strange. What happened to Bertha's husband? Well, he died about five years ago. Committed suicide. He worked with John at one time. Then John set him up in a business of his own. Thought he went to the wall in the crash at 29 and lost every penny. Just couldn't take it, so he killed himself. He left nothing? Nothing but an insurance policy to his wife, Bertha. Didn't amount to much. 5000 I think. Were John and Bertha's husband on good terms? Well, apparently the best of friends. How did Bertha's husband die? Took poison. Overdose of sleeping tablets. Oh, I see. But from the day Bertha's husband died, John, her brother, seemed to turn against Bertha. And shortly changed his will, cutting Bertha off. I was the only one who knew about it until the will was read. Have you any idea why he changed the will? No. None whatever. It was none of my business. Uh, yes. Well, thank you, Mr. Wentworth. I, I appreciate your telling me this. Good day. Then Herbert pays another visit. A visit to Dr. Martin, formerly John Kemper's physician. Dr. Martin is at first reluctant to talk, but finally answers a few questions. Uh, doctor, uh, you were John Kemper's physician for many years? Yes, that's right. Uh-huh. Was there anything wrong with him? You mean, was he unbalanced? Uh, no, no. Did he have any severe ailments? Well, no. No, the last year or so, he seemed to change considerably, though. Became a bit morose. Anything wrong with his heart? Well, yes and no. Yes and no? Well, he, he began to suffer from severe headaches. Took to using a lot of aspirin. Of course, too much of anything's bad. Uh, he was killed in a car wreck. Yes, he'd been to the city and was driving back home late at night. Drove off into the ditch. Did you attend him? I saw the body shortly after the wreck. He'd been dead about an hour, badly smashed up. Was it his heart? Oh, could have been, but I, I think he went to sleep at the wheel. Was there an autopsy? No, it was obvious how he died. His skull had been crushed in. Mm -hmm. Who had he visited in the city on business? Oh, I, I don't know. I never thought about it. Where is John Kemper buried? In the family vault at the edge of his own estate. Didn't you know that? Huh? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, I'd forgotten. Uh, well, good day, Doctor. And thanks for the information. 
Then later that night, the household prepares to settle down to sleep. One by one, the lights go out in the various rooms. Now only that in Elizabeth's room remains. Will there be anything else, ma'am? No. No, Higgins. That'll be all. Has everyone gone to bed? Oh, yes, ma'am. They've all retired. Is the milk warm enough? Yes. Good night, Higgins. Good night, ma'am. I hope you rest well tonight. Thank you, Higgins. The moon bathes the estate in its eerie glow. The big clock strikes off the hour. Then, in the distance, there is the howl of a dog. A mournful howl of impending doom. John's dog crying in its loneliness. Across the lawn from the family vault walks a haggard figure in the moonlight. A figure with long white hair walking toward the house. And a few moments later, the weird figure appears in Mary's room, stands in the shadows and points at Mary. What, what do you want? Who are you? I am John. John? Oh, good heavens. I've come back to talk to you. You must hear me. Uh, I hear you. I made a great mistake in life. I hated my sister, but I know all things now. Bertha's a good woman. I'm doomed to walk this place without rest until I've made amends. Do you understand? Yes. Yes, I, I understand. If Elizabeth refuses to listen to my pleas and leaves this estate to you, you will never rest a moment under this roof, for I can never leave. It rightfully belongs to Bertha, and to her it must go. No, I, I don't want it. I don't want any part of it. I won't stay here. I promise, just, just let me alone. I will, if you and your son leave here at once. We will. We will. I... Oh, where are you? John? Are you here? John? <gasps> Mary gasps and suddenly falls back on her pillow. Poor Mary has fainted dead away. From the darkened stairway, the great clock chimes out the hour. Three o'clock. Elizabeth. Eyes closed but still awake, senses a presence and slowly opens her eyes. Standing close beside her is the white-haired figure, its face hidden in the shadows. No, no, Elizabeth, don't turn on the light. Who, who is it? You wouldn't want to see me. I've been out there too long. John, John. At last I've reached through to you. Oh, I must be dreaming again, no. I... Why? Why are you whispering, John? I'm not whispering, Elizabeth. Can't you hear me? Yes. Yes, I can hear you. I... What is that odor? Odor? Yes, a strange odor. Like... Like the smell of flowers. A musty odor of roses. Why? I've just come from the vault, Elizabeth. John! John, what is it? What do you want? You're going to make your will tomorrow. Yes, yes. Only you can right the wrong I've done. Wrong? My father left this estate to me with the understanding that I should leave it to birth. Yes, I know. I suspected her of wrongdoing and cut her off and instructed you to do so. Yes. But now I know that I was wrong. You must leave the estate to her. You must right my wrongs so that I can go on to my rest. Yes, yes, John. If you fail to do this... I shall be doomed to walk this place throughout eternity. 
And all those who come here shall not know a moment's peace. Yes, I understand, John. If you fail me, you too shall suffer my torment with me forever. Yes, I... I'll do it. I'll do as you say, only... I... John... Your heart, Elizabeth? Yes, I... You haven't much time, Elizabeth. You'll be joining me soon. I know. John, where are you? I promise, John. I promise. Elizabeth clutches at her heart, gasping for breath. A few moments pass and she revives sufficiently to reach for the stimulant on the nightstand. She pours a dose, and as she swallows it, she glances out the window over the moonlit grounds. Across the lawn moves the white-haired figure, gliding toward the family vault at the edge of the estate. John! John! <laughs> Elizabeth drops the glass and falls to the floor. A few seconds later, Bertha hurries into the room. Elizabeth! Elizabeth! Mary! Herbert! What happened, Mother? Hurry! Good heavens! Is she all right? Elizabeth! Elizabeth! Oh! She's dead. Who screamed? Must have been Elizabeth. Had another attack. Why? She's still breathing. Put her on the bed. Well, there's her medicine. I'll get another glass. You stay here, Mary. I'll get the glass from the bathroom. What do you suppose happened to her? Maybe. Maybe it was the... Was what? I don't... I don't know. What's wrong with you, Mother? You're white as a sheet. Am I? What are you trying to say? Well, I saw it, too. Saw what? What did you see? Well, I, I saw him. John. He was in my room a while ago. I... Talk to him. You talked to him? Yes, and he talked to me. I, I heard him and I saw him. Oh, what did he say? Stop whimpering and tell us. He said... He said... Oh, mother, mother, stop it, stop it. Oh, I won't stay. I won't stay. I won't. Come back here. Grab her, Celia. Elizabeth's coming, too. Uh, Aunt Elizabeth. Aunt Elizabeth. Uh, oh, but I... You're, you're all right now. Just take it easy. Yes. Yes, I'm all right. What's wrong with Mary? She says she saw John and talked to him. What? I think she's imagining things. No, no. She isn't imagining things. I I know. I, I saw him, too. He was here. He talked to oh, me. Oh, now, look, Aunt Elizabeth. The whole thing is... No, it? no, no. He was here. It was no dream. I saw him walk through the garden toward the vault. When? It can't be very long ago. There was a strange, sickly odor in the room all the while he was here. It smelled like musty roses. Oh, be quiet, Mother. Now maybe you believe what I've been telling you. What did he say? It was about his will and my will. And he talked about Bertha. About me? Yes. He said he was wrong about you. Wants to make things right through me. He knew I intended to make my will tomorrow. And he told me just what to do. Yes, that's what he said to me, too. You? Yes. Why, this is the strangest thing I've ever encountered. Why should he talk to you? Well, he did, I tell you. And Elizabeth must do what he wants. Otherwise, something will happen. What will happen? Well, I... I don't know. I want you to call Mr. Wentworth, the lawyer, and have him here first thing in the morning. I want to draw my will, as John tells me. Yeah, very well. I, I think I'll have a look around the grounds. Never go back to sleep now, anyway. So, uh, good night, Aunt Elizabeth. Herbert wanders about the grounds for a while and finally goes to Higgins, the butler, and after some persuasion obtains the keys to the family vault. The next morning, the lawyer, Wentworth, visits Elizabeth in her room. 
Well, how are you this morning, Elizabeth? Much better, Mr. Wentworth. Here you had a bad night. Yes, I guess I had another attack. Oh, so? Uh, Mr. Wentworth, I want to draw up my will. I should have done it long ago, but... Well, something held me back. I see. Well, I'll take down the data and have it typed, then bring it back for you to sign. I'll be in court all day, probably through the evening... So I'll have to come around 11 tonight. Very well, as soon as possible. Good. Now, let's have the particulars. Yes. To my sister, Mary Wilton, I leave the five-room cottage in Danbury. Mm -hmm. To my nephew, Herbert Wilton, I leave $1,000 in cash. Yes. And to my husband's sister, Bertha Mallory, I leave all other property, personal and real, amounting to some $400,000. What? Please. Amounting to some $400,000, according to my late husband's wishes. What do you mean? John stipulated that you leave not a penny to Bertha. John has changed his mind. When did he change his mind? Since his death. Don't you think we'd better postpone this until you feel better? I want my will drawn just as I have told you. But what do you mean by saying John has changed his mind? How could he? He told me so. Last night... You know what you're saying. Yes. I saw John. I talked to him. He was wrong in his attitude toward Bertha. Oh, this is... This is ridiculous. I want it done as I say. Very well. I'll draw it up this way. But I certainly think that... You think I'm insane? Well, since you bring it up, yes, I do. So did I, at first. But I'm not. I'll be expecting you around 11 tonight, Mr. Wentworth. Yes. Yes, of course, I... I'll be here. Now it is shortly after 11, the same night. The lawyer has returned to the will, and Elizabeth has called her three relatives to her room. Very well, Mr. Wentworth. This is drawn the way I want it. You mean as John wants it? I mean just that. I'm leaving the property that was mine before I married John, a small cottage, to you, Mary, and a thousand dollars to Herbert. All else I am leaving according to John's directions to you, Bertha. That's the way John wants it. And that's the way it shall be. You must do as you think best. I'm doing as John wishes. Hand me the pen, Wentworth. There you are. And I hope you all understand. I don't. Thank you, Elizabeth. Well. Now that you've got it, Bertha, what good is it going to do you? What do you mean? How much chance do you think you'll have to use it? What happiness do you think it'll bring you? More than it would you. Isn't it rightfully mine? Is it? That's the way John wanted oh, it. Oh, no, it isn't. It's the way you want it. I had nothing to do with John it. John made a will. He's never wanted to change. Elizabeth knows better than Aunt that. Aunt Elizabeth knows nothing of the kind. This is my house now, and the sooner you leave, the better. You'll be living sooner than I will, you and your spooks. You don't believe in ghosts, and you never saw one. I saw John. Night after night, everyone saw everyone him. Everyone but me, because I'm not a dunce. Your own mother Mary saw him and talked oh, to him. Hush, John is dead in his coffin out there in the vault. I saw him. But I did see him. So did I. You wouldn't know if you did see him. We would. We've seen him. Yeah. Then turn around. Turn around, all of you. And look. John. Good Lord. Him. Is that John? Is it? Yes, yes. Take off your wig. Higgins. Yes, the butler. There's your spook. I'm sorry, ma'am. I, I... You can go, Higgins. I'll explain everything. Yes. Bertha hired Higgins to impersonate John. That's a lie. Higgins would never have done it if he'd known about the murders. I trapped him into it. He confessed everything. Murders? What do you mean? I got wise to the whole thing. I investigated the whole story about Bertha's husband and John's accidental death. 
They were both murdered. You're lying. I have the bodies exhumed and examined. They both died of an overdose of sleeping tablets. The very same purchased by Bertha at a certain drugstore. He's crazy. He's crazy. I tell she you, don't listen. She put the tablets in her husband's aspirin bottle. She was the one John visited. That night he had the wreck. She must have drugged him. That's why he went to sleep at the wheel. I didn't. I didn't. She killed her husband for his insurance. And John cut her off on his will because he suspected that she killed her husband. It's a lie, a lie, I tell John you. never wanted his will changed. I have proof of the whole thing, and the police are waiting outside now. You haven't a chance, Bertha. You're guilty. The police. Oh, What no, good will no. all this do you? Where is your fortune now? They'll hang you. Oh. Oh, yes. Yes, I did. I did it. I don't know why, but I did it. I gave him the tablet. Did Higgins know that? No. No, he didn't know. Bertha, she's fainted. Mother! Oh. No, she hasn't fainted. What's wrong with her? She's dead. Oh, Mother! <laughs> Mother! Hand me that will, Mr. Wentworth. I want to draw up a new one in the morning. Well, there you are. That's the story. John never wanted his will changed, and for good reason. He really knew the truth. But wait a minute. How did you figure this one out, Herbert? You didn't really have those bodies exhumed, did you? I didn't have them exhumed. And if I had, there would have been no traces of sleeping tablets left. And there were no police waiting outside. I was bluffing. Working on pure hypothesis. But it did work. Yes, it worked, Herbert. And it afforded me a very nice story indeed. <laughs> Thank you, Herbert. You're welcome. has presented The Whistler. Original music for this production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. The Whistler is written and directed by J. Donald Wilson and originates from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next week, same time... I, the Whistler, will return to tell you another weird tale. Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Phil Harris and Alice Faye next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, a comedy which ran on NBC from 1948 to 1954. Harris had previously become known to radio audiences as the band leader turned cast member of the same name on the Jack Benny program, while Faye had been a frequent guest on programs such as Rudy Valley's variety shows. After becoming the breakout stars of the music and comedy variety program, The Fitch Brandwagon, the show was retooled into a full-situation comedy, 
with Harris and Faye playing fictionalized versions of themselves as a working show business couple raising two daughters in a madcap home. Here's the episode called Dinner for Teacher. Good health to all from Rexall. Your Rexall Family Druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Sharp and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. The Harris family has just returned home from church. They attended afternoon Easter services, and Alice seems a little perturbed about the children's behavior. I'm surprised at the way you children acted in church. Phyllis, you should know better than to whisper to your sister during the sermon. I'm sorry, Mommy. And as for you, you squirmed and fidgeted in your seat, and worst of all, why did you take your shoes off? My little tootsies were killing me. (laughs) I was talking to Alice. Girls, go change your clothes for dinner. Willie, will you stay and have dinner with us? Oh, well, I'd like to, Alice, but I have a date. Oh, I'm sorry you can't stay, Willie. You see, I've invited the Creightons for dinner, and I know you enjoy their company. Oh, yes, the Creightons are very interesting. Don't you think so, Philip? Oh, to be sure. <laughs> Just think, we're having the Creightons for dinner. What a thrill, what a pleasure, what an honor. What's a Creighton? <laughs> Mrs. Creighton is the children's school principal. I met her at church and invited her and her husband for dinner. The school principal? Oh, goody. (laughs) Oh, we're in for a racy evening. (laughs) Don't be sarcastic. Well, I told him to come over early, so I'd better get things ready. Yeah, you go oil the magic lantern, and I'll dust off the stereoptican slides. <laughs> Alice, with all the swell teachers they got at the school, why do you have to invite this Creighton character and her husband? Well, Phil, that's no way to talk. They're very nice people. Well, maybe so. But I ain't got nothing in common with Mr. Creighton. He went to Harvard, and I'm a Yale man. <laughs> <laughs> why, we're natural-born enemies. Our schools have been rivals forever. All right, Bula Bula. <laughs> Philip, you went to Yale? Well, naturally, Willie. He's a whiffin' poof. <laughs> Haven't you ever heard his famous school song? Under the table down at Maury's, that's the place where Philzy dwelled. <laughs> at the dear old temple bar, he loved. Thank so you, Rudy Valley. <laughs> Oh, you vagabond mother. Well, if you'll excuse me, I'd better get the roast started. Hey, Alice, you better make something else instead of roast. Why? It don't agree with Frankie. (laughs) Frankie's coming to dinner? Who invited him? He did. Now, look, Phil, I'm not going to have Frankie around while the Creightons are here. He's liable to insult them, and besides, his table manners are atrocious. They are not. He's very polite. He always tips his hat when a lady comes to the table. <laughs> it's important that this dinner go off smoothly, so you'll have to tell Frankie we can't have him. Tell him we haven't got enough food. Fine thing. On account of a couple of old squares, I can't have my pal eat with us. Excuse me, Philip. Before I leave, I'll go see if I can help Alice prepare dinner. Oh, you'll be a great help, Prudence. 
What can you do? I can whip the potatoes. <laughs> Well, I doubt it, Muscles, but give it a try. <laughs> hey! If they fight back, call me, will you? Get that left hand out. Keep your head down, bud. <laughs> I can whip the potato. <laughs> Comes on like Thor, don't he? <laughs> I can't understand it. I've already invited Frankie to dinner. Now, how am I... Uh-oh, that must be him now. Now, how am I going to tell Remley's not wanted? Hiya, Curly. Happy Easter. And what are we having for dinner? <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I'm having roast beef. You see, Frankie, we... We can't... Well, that is... Well, well, we don't... Um... What are you trying to tell me? <laughs> Well, to put it blunt, Alice invited somebody else over to dinner. She doesn't have enough food for you, she doesn't want you, and you can't have dinner here. Stop hinting and get to the point. <laughs> You're not going to eat with us. Well, you don't want me, I'll just take these expensive presents I bought for you good people and go home. Well, go ahead, because you... Wait a minute. Presents? Mm-hmm. You mean, uh, those packages in your arms are for us? Well, yeah. You were nice enough to invite me to dinner, so I bought something for you, Alice, and the kids. I got a box of my special-made cigars, an orchid, and a real-life Easter bunny. Oh, Frankie. <laughs> You bought a real live bunny just for me? <laughs> yeah, the bunny's for you. Now, if you'll call the kids in, I'll give them their cigar. <laughs> the bunny ain't for you. It's for the kids. Oh, well, I like the other present just as much. Go ahead, Frankie. Pin the orchid on me. <laughs> Curly, the cigars are for you. They're the special kind that I have made for myself. You trying to ignore them? You said it. Them things taste like wet soup greens wrapped in a ripe banana skin. <laughs> you mean you don't like them? I'd rather smoke the orchid. <laughs> or the bunny. <laughs> I wouldn't touch one of them things if you'd... Daddy, give... may we color some Easter eggs? You said we could, and... Oh, hello, Uncle Frankie. Happy Easter, kids. I got something for you. Wait till I take the cover off this box. I wonder what it is, Phyllis. Yeah, there you are. How do you like it? Gee, an Easter bunny. Oh, thank you. A real live one, too. Isn't he cute, Alice? Yeah, he looks just like Uncle Frankie. <laughs> he don't look like me. Does he, Phyllis? Of course not. She's just saying that because you both have pink eyes. How did your eyes get so pink, Uncle Frankie? From drinking carrot juice <laughs> Now, why don't you girls run along and play, huh? Phil, Phil, who was that at the door? What's it? Oh, Frankie Fine reception She greets me like I was radioactive or something <laughs> Hey, honey, Frankie brought uh, Easter presents for all of us he brought the kids a bunny, and he got something for you and something for me. Here's yours. Oh, just what I wanted. 
I haven't had a good cigar in years. You still ain't got a good cigar. Look, Curly, will you stop trying to pawn those cigars off on everybody? Here, Alice, this orchid is for you. Oh, it's lovely. Frankie, it was awfully sweet of you to bring presents for all of us, and I'd like to reciprocate. Won't you have dinner with us? Oh, gee, Alice. This is such an unexpected invitation. <laughs> I don't know what to say, except couldn't I have lobster instead of roast beef? <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but I've already put the roast in the oven. And another thing, Frankie, as long as you're staying, I'm going to have to ask you to be careful how you act. You see, we're having company for dinner. Oh, good. We'll have a lot of fun. I love gay dinner parties. Scintillating conversations, sparkling dialogue. Who's coming? Two characters from the Wax Museum. <laughs> We're having Mr. and Mrs. Creighton. She's the school principal. Give me back my presents. I'm getting out of here. Now, wait. <laughs> Frankie, they're very nice people. They're a little formal and straight-laced, but it won't hurt you fellas to meet people like that. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a great evening. I won't know what to talk to her about, and he's so hand-pecked he don't care, dare open his mouth unless she gives him permission. Now, look, fellas, do me no. a favor and act nice when the Creightons get here. And above all, she's a school principal, so watch your grammar. Philip, do you think that is he and she now? <laughs> yes, that might be whom it are. <laughs> Yeah, when two people come, you use the plural. Oh. Look, you two better not do any talking. Let the Creightons lead the conversation. Now, be quiet while I let them in. Leave them in. How do you do, Mrs. Harris? Hello, Mrs. Creighton, Mr. Creighton. It's a pleasure to have you. Won't you come in? Thank you. Come along, Henry. <laughs> You know my husband? Oh, hello. And uh, this is Mr. Remley. Hi. How do you do? And this is my husband. Henry, you may say hello. Thank you, Cora. <laughs> hello, folks. Oh, Remley. Did you hear that kid ad lib? <laughs> Notice the way he slipped that folks in? <laughs> well, uh, dinner won't be ready for about an hour. In the meantime, shall we all go in the living room? And, oh, Frankie, will you escort Mrs. Creighton? Delighted. Madame, may I offer my arm? <laughs> oh, how gallant. <laughs> Mr. Remley, where did you learn to bow so gracefully? Oh, one acquires a lot of poise from bending over pool tables. <laughs> Well, well, here we are. <laughs> Shall we all be seated? Well, we're all seated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sitting down, very nice. <laughs> Sometimes I like it better than standing up. <laughs> it's kind of a change. In... Uh... <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> Cribbage, anyone? <laughs> Wasn't it lucky that Easter fell on a Sunday this year? <laughs> Anybody care for a cigar? (laughs) Anybody care for a drink? (laughs) (laughs) Boo! What was that for? I just want to make sure everybody was still alive. Well, dinner should be ready soon, I hope. Isn't there something we can do to amuse ourselves in the meantime? Anybody care to wrestle? <laughs> How about you, Mrs. Harris? Henry! <laughs> well, I take judo lessons, and I got to practice with somebody, and I thought it might be fun with her. <laughs> do you know judo, Creighton? Oh, yes. You see, I'm rather short in stature. I'll explain, Henry. Yes, poodles. When we were married, I insisted that Henry study judo so he could protect me against all those mashers who are always accosting beautiful women. He's been a judo expert for 20 years now. And I've never had any occasion to use him. Do you take judo too, Mrs. Creighton? Mr. Harris, my time is completely absorbed by my educational duties. Oh, I should think it would be, Mrs. Creighton. Your work is very important, and we parents appreciate the training you school teachers give our children. We do our best. However, we must have cooperation for the parents. Sometimes the example set at home by certain fathers counteracts our efforts. Yeah, it's a shame the way some kids don't get no help from their old man. <laughs> I'm always learning my daughter's good grammar. You are? You said it. I ain't going to have no kids of mine talking no lousy English. (laughs) Mr. Harris, I realize everybody hasn't had an education, but I think it's the duty of every parent to acquire some knowledge. I'd suggest you read a few reference books. Like what? Well, have you ever read the Encyclopedia Britannica? No, I'm waiting till they make the picture. (laughs) That Lawrence Oliver ought to be great in that picture. Mr. Harris, has it ever occurred to you why your children aren't learning the way they should? Something wrong with the school system, huh? (laughs) There's nothing wrong with the school system. Mr. Remley, what do you think of our present scholastic curriculum? Mr. Remley? Frankie! What? Whose deal is it? (laughs) Mr. Remley, I asked you a question. Oh. What do you think of the present scholastic curriculum? That's all right, but it'll never replace the parimutuel. (laughs) We were discussing education. Oh, education. Wonderful thing. No school should be without it. (laughs) Great for the kids, too. Keeps them off the streets. I do wish there was someone here who had an education that I could talk to. Mrs. Harris.
Paris. Of course, you went to college. Well, I... Oh, college is so important, don't you think? Well, I... We I... never forget our college days, do we? I went to USC, class of 29. And you? NTG, chorus of 34. Chorus. <laughs> NTG? Mrs. Harris, you mean you were a chorus girl? Oh, boy, I'd love to have seen it. Henry! (laughs) Just what did you do in the chorus, Mrs. Harris? Well, I danced a little and I sang a little. You're darn right, and she was great, too. In fact, she still is. Go on, honey. Sing something and show them. But, Phil, I don't think Mrs. Creighton wants to hear me. Of course she does. Look at her sitting there. She's all ears. (laughs) Well, I'll pin them back so they don't flap while you're singing. (laughs) Go ahead, Alice. Lost my partner, what'll I do? Lost my partner, what'll I do? Lost my partner, what'll I do? Skip to Maluma, darling. Lulu, skip to Maluma. Lulu, skip to Maluma. Lulu, skip to Maluma. Skip to Maluma, darling. Prettier than you, I'll get another one prettier than you. I'll get another one prettier than you. Skip to Maluma, darling. Lulu, skip to Maluma. Lulu, skip to Maluma. Lulu, skip to Maluma. Skip to Maluma, darling. Can't get a red bird, a blue bird'll do. Can't get a red bird, a blue bird'll do. Can't get a red bird, a blue bird'll do. Skip to Maluma, darling. Lulu, skip to Maluma. Lulu, skip to Maluma. Sugar bowl, shoe, fly, shoe. Cows in the cornfields, two by two. Flies in the buttermilk, shoe, fly, shoe. Long old boot and the run-down shoe. Lost my partner. Oh, what'll I do? Lost my partner. What'll I do? Lost my partner. What'll I do? Skip to my loo, my darling. Ooh, skip to my loo. Ooh, skip to my loo. skip to my Skip to my How'd you like that, Mrs. Straighton? That kid's got talent, ain't she? Uh, yes. <laughs> Mrs. Harris, I don't wish to be rude, but do you think dinner will be ready soon? Well, I'm afraid it won't be ready for another hour, so, you see, I'm having a roast, and by the way, I hope you like roast beef. I don't mind it, but no seasoning, please. I can't stand seasoning of any sort. It makes me deathly ill. <laughs> oh, it does, huh? <laughs> Well, if you'll excuse me, I've got to go in and see how the roast is no, doing. No, you stay here. I'll No, Alice, you enjoy yourself. I'm going in and see how the roast is doing. Excuse no, me, No, wait a minute, please. Curly. I'll go with you. Excuse me. Uh, wait for me. Uh, excuse Henry? me. Henry? Sit down. Yes, dear. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to stand up on a chair and punch her right in the nose. <laughs> Henry, stop muttering. We'll be right back. Come on, Rumble. Yeah, all right. Oh, brother. There ought to be a law against such women. Curly, if she's going to be here for dinner, I'm not staying. Remley, I don't think she's going to stay for dinner. <laughs> what do you mean? 
Well, you heard her say she can't stand seasoning in her food. Hmm? Now, if we were to go in the kitchen and kind of rub that roast down a little... Uh... <laughs> oh, Curly, you're cute. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go, maestro. Come on. How is the roast doing, chef? It is beginning to acquire a little flavor. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. All is needed was a subtle touch of seasoning. Just a touch. Yes. What have you got in so far? A pinch of salt, a dash of pepper, two cans of paprika, three bottles of Tabasco sauce, four strings of garlic, and a rubber glove. (laughs) And now for the finishing touch, we glaze the roast with a delicate blend of vinegar, lemon juice, and turpentine. Yum, yum. (laughs) And just to make sure, we'll add a cup of this. Claret? No, Clorox. (laughs) Clorox. Just enough to fade them a little. Look, Remley, we don't need it. It's hot enough now. At least I hope it is. Well, there's only one way to find out. Taste it, Curly. Taste it? (laughs) I got a better idea. Let's take it to Bikini and test it. Hey, this roast is ready, Remley. Oh, this is a pretty thing. Yeah, you taste it. It's your roast. You taste it. You better do it fast. It's starting to burn its way through the table. Hey, wait a minute. I got it. They make tests on rabbits. Let's try this stuff on that bunny you brought the kids. Curly, please. I ain't going to let you try it out on the kid's bunny. Might kill him. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Hmm. Hey, maybe if we could get a hold of another bunny. Hi, and... Mr. Harris. Well, if it ain't old Br'er Rabbit of Bruce. <laughs> Julius himself. Yeah. What are you guys doing? Ah, oh, nothing, kid. Nothing. We're just here in the kitchen. Just getting ready to take a slice of Alice's delicious roast beef. Hey, do you want to see something good, kid? Oh, wait till I cut a slice off. Uh, there, ain't that a thing of beauty? That looks delicious, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks nice and juicy and tender. I'm going to have a piece. So am I. I ain't. <laughs> What do you mean, you ain't? I hate roast beef. But, Julius, it's healthy for you. I always eat it. I got to look the way I do today from just eating roast beef. That's a recommendation? (laughs) Well, look, kid, you ought to try this. Miss Faye made it, and believe me, when it's seasoned this way, it doesn't taste like roast beef. What does it taste like? That's what we're trying to find out. (laughs) Well, if it don't taste like roast beef, I might try it. Cut me a piece. Okay, but you can't have much. Just one big fat slice. Here you are. Thanks. <clears throat> oh, Remley, I can't watch this. I gotta cover my eyes. Yeah. We better hold our ears, too. Any second now. Hey! You guys are right. This stuff is good. He likes it. This kid must be keg lined. <laughs> sure you like it, Julius? Yes, got a taste that makes you... Uh-oh. There he goes. There he goes, Remy. Watch him whirl. There he goes. Look at the way the scalp's trying to leave his head. Yeah, he's going. Hot enough, there ain't no flames. Uh, uh, rolling now. Uh, starting to 
glow a little. I better get the fire extinguisher and put them out. Now it's chilly in the kitchen. Let him heat it up a little. The least we can do is back him to the noise spinning. Boy. I don't know. He took one bite of Alice's roast beef and went out like a Roman candle. <laughs> I'm afraid that meat is tainted, Alice. Tainted? Yeah. Now, should we all sit down to dinner? Uh, uh, no, no, thank you. I, uh, I just remembered a previous engagement. Goodbye, Mrs. Harris. Come along, Henry. Oh, but Mrs. Creighton, please don't leave. I had no idea... Mrs. Creighton. She is leaving. What a pity. <laughs> oh, fellas, I don't know what you Mrs. did, Mrs. But... Harris, I came back to talk to you. Yes, Mr. Creighton. Do you realize if my wife had eaten that tainted meat, something drastic might have happened to her? I might even have lost the dear girl. I'm sorry, Mr. Creighton. Well, never mind the excuses. There's just one thing I want to know. What? Where can I buy meat like that? <laughs> Folks, this is Phil again. Down in Galveston, Texas, this weekend, they're doing something of which the whole nation can be very proud. The Greater Galveston Beach Association is holding a four-day welcome honoring General Jimmy Doolittle and his Tokyo Raiders. So congratulations to you, Jimmy, and to all your brave guys. We know you love that Texas hospitality and have a wonderful time. And our thanks to Galveston for again showing our country's gratitude to you and your boys for a deed that will never be forgotten. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Your pennies will save dollars next Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at Rexall's famous one-cent sale. Nearly 300 fine-quality guaranteed Rexall products, two for the price of one plus one cent. Remember, next Wednesday through Saturday, Rexall's one-cent sale. Wherever you see the orange and blue Rexall sign on the window. This is Bill Foreman saying good luck. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's James Stewart in The Six Shooter, followed by Fibra McGee and Molly. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.